This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. when I put my daughter to sleep, I, I have her ask a question. I think I shared that with you before. And uh, t- typically it's uh, fun questions that uh, we sort of laugh about and are somewhat easy to answer. Uh, sometimes they're about whales or wolves, and those scare her, so we quickly move away from those. Um, sometimes they're just silly questions in general. This week, though, she asked me a question that made me pause and it, late at night, when your child asks you a, a, a difficult theological question or, or even just a church-related question, you sort of pause and you go, okay, well, I might need to take a second to answer this. Well, I had to shift gears a little bit from laughter and reading funny little books to a tough question when my daughter asked me, Daddy, why do we go to church? She continued on in her questioning. She said, our neighbors believe in God, but they don't go to church, so why do we? She comes home seeing her friends playing in the yard, sees friends watching football games and TV shows on Sunday mornings. And to be honest, if you are in here in this room this morning, you are part of the 50 to 60% of people that came back to church post-COVID. And today in America, we have, if we had 30% before, and now 50% of that, we are slowly dwindling in church attendance in America. And so we have to ask the question, why in the world would we go to church? Maybe you're here in this morning today, you found our church because it aligns to your doctrine or maybe your theology of some sort. Maybe you found our website and you liked the ministries that we offer. Or maybe you moved to town and you're looking for community and you found this a good place for community. Maybe you were frustrated with your old church and so you came here. But regardless of why you're sitting in the seats with us today, first of all, I'm thankful. I'm glad you're here. But I think we should continue to ask the question, why do we go to church? Throughout this series, which we are going to be walking through the book of Titus, I hope to be able to help answer that question today. In secular America, in a culture that pushes away from attendance in church, in questions of why, why can't we just have faith? Why can't we just believe in God but not come to church? It's the same question my sweet daughter asked me. Daddy, why do we go to church? And so let's wrestle with it. We're going to look at the book of Titus, but before we do, I want to give you a quote from uh, Jonathan Lehman. He was one of my professors, and he wrote a book about why we should love the church. And in it, he gives us a startling reality of what we find, right? Because in this room, we are full of broken people. We, have, uh, we are sick, we are sinners, and we are headed towards death physically in this world. That's a reality that we all face today. Uh, sometimes we hurt each other. Sometimes we lie, cheat, steal. Sometimes we're rude, angry. Uh, sometimes we manipulate. We do a lot of things that hurt each other in this room. We are full of sinners. This is a room full of people that have been redeemed by God's mercy but are not perfect this side of heaven. And so he reminds us, through these people... The people in this room, God's local expression of the kingdom of God at hand in this world, the church. God wants to show you his love. God has chosen these people. Sometimes, and the reality is, sometimes you may not like everybody in this room. Sometimes you might get frustrated with people in this room. 
Sometimes you're going to hurt people in this room. But the people in this room have been chosen by God to encourage, to love, and to draw each other near. It's the only kind. The church is the only kind of love that can draw us out of ourselves and into a fellowship that transcends the forces that are tearing apart our sick world. It's the only essential way for us to find healing together. This church is where heaven touches down on earth. And every church that expresses the gospel message of Jesus Christ and has spirit-driven leaders and spirit-filled people is a local expression of heaven on earth. So may we be a city on a hill and a light in the midst of darkness. May we be a healthy church that reminds people of the goodness of God because we know that Jesus builds His new kind of community with sinners so bad that they have no reason why He should ever notice them. And yet God brought together 12 disciples to accomplish His purposes. And if He can use them, He can use us. So everyone in this room is on a journey. We're all in a journey of righteousness and holiness that God is drawing us into the kingdom and of heaven for eternity. But right now, today, we sit in a room all on a journey. And no matter where you are, we're together. No matter where you are, we're walking through this together to encourage one another. No matter what you fight with, we fight together, not against each other. So Titus, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. In his own time, he has revealed his word and the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of, our, of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone and, as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful messages taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. We have a person in our 930 service who is uh, in a pastoral commissioning process, an ordination process for, to become a pastor, uh, a lay pastor. And uh, they are going through the process of being uh, you know, evaluated for uh, expectations and for theology. And as you walk through Titus 1 through 9, uh, I think any pastor should sit in uh, just uh, utter um, reverence of who God is. You can't read through that and just, as a pastor, especially as a pastor, read through those things and just go, well, okay, check, check boxes, we're good. All those things, simple, easy. I, I come before you this morning to preach this uh, passage, and I think specifically it's actually to, to be preached to me in front of you, and I, do, I can't explain to you, I've already had two services, how humbling this is. Uh, it's a process by which uh, me and the guy who I was mentioning at 9.30 have to just really wrestle with this truth that God has called us uh, to expectations and um, uh, a lifestyle that is to be on display for the city and for the church to see and to follow. 
It's a constant reminder for me that God has called me to a role and a responsibility that as many in the world today would say, you're not supposed to put a pastor on a pedestal, but the reality is the Bible puts pastors in expectations and responsibilities that other people should follow. So whether you want to call it a pedestal or a leader, I don't care what you call it, the reality is this, my life should be lived and I should show you an example of what it looks like to follow after Christ. And I'll tell you this, every time, and just as I told the other ones, that is... uh, uh, It brings a great reverence and a fear, if you will, of God and who He is to even be able to speak those words in front of you. To think that my life is supposed to be an example to you of what it looks like to fall after Christ makes me this, this truth. And I will tell this to you and I'll tell this to my daughter as well. The only way I can follow these expectations and the only way I can even stand in front of you and preach this message is because we can cling to Jesus Christ. You see, beginning at the very, fir- the very first word of this passage, if you just look at it, verse Titus 1, the very first word is Paul. I mean, you look at the expectations that are li- listed out of here, and you remember who Paul is. Paul is Saul, Saul the chief sinners, the one who was overseeing murders of Christians, who was not following after Jesus Christ in those moments, and Jesus woke him up, and you're starting to remind yourself of, okay, hey, if Paul was Saul, and Saul was transformed into God, then what, uh, into, uh, what God had for him, then what can God do with us too? What can God do with you? What can God do with His church? And what can God do with His elders, with His pastors, the leaders in His church? What can God do? If God can change a man like Saul, then He can change me too. Paul is listed as two responsibilities or roles in the church. He's a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. The servant of God means that, as in Romans 8, he would say, is he's been transform, uh, transferred from a, a servant to sin, and he was addicted to sin or enslaved to sin is what he says, and now he is uh, enslaved or a servant of God. Now he follows God alone and is not addicted to the things of this world, but is following after and pursuing after a good God. So he's been transferred in his practice, in his, uh, the way he lives his life, but he's also been transferred into his responsibilities. now an apostle. What is an apostle? An apostle is someone who is sent to establish churches uh, by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, simply put, it's this. An apostle is someone who is sent to start churches in different areas throughout the world. So, Paul was going around establishing churches and then raising up leaders like young Titus, who he's writing to here, to, uh, to pastor those churches or to elder, be the elder over those churches and to lead them up in theology and practice. So that's Paul's responsibility. Now here's a fascinating phrase right after it. For the faith of God's elect. For the faith of God's elect. Now we could just skip over that really quick, but I want you to zoom in on that. That word for is kata in Greek. Uh, it's used another time in this passage in verse 4, and we're going to look at that in a second. But it could mean uh, for in the sense that Paul is there for their faith to grow. But it also could mean, which it most always means, kata means something like according to, or on the basis of in some way. Uh, So for instance, let me give you an example. I am Matthew McMillan according to my birth certificate. Uh, I'm also Matthew McMillan according to my parents naming me Matthew McMillan. I'm also Matthew McMillan because in second grade there was Matthew Scott Haynes, Matthew Scott McKinley, and Matthew Scott McMillan. And I had a little template on my desk that said Matthew Scott McMillan. So according to that template, I was the McMillan, not the Haynes or the McKinley. We have many reasons why we can say according to this. But for Paul, it seems that 
according to the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and according to the hope of eternal life, uh, Paul gives himself as an apostle to the church to serve. He's been established uh, by faith in God and God's people's faith. Uh, there has been an establishment of his responsibility to the church. Now, it's important that we see this because of verse 4 as well. It says, To Titus, my true son in our common faith. So you saw Paul, a servant of God. Now we have Titus, a son. So his role is Paul's son in this conversation. But it says, in our common faith. Now this is, uh, people, theologians debate this. Biblical scholars debate. Is this supposed to be uh, in or for or whatever? But it's the same word in Greek, kata. And so when we look at it, we can read it the same way. Paul was a servant of God and an apostle according to faith. Titus, the son of Paul, was uh, his son according to faith. This is really important because at the beginning of a leadership, uh, uh, finding a leader and being a healthy leader, at the beginning of it is always faith. Not because of what, who we are and what good we bring and how uh, in modern day pastoring how good of a preacher they are or how good of an uh, um, organizer they are and administrator they are or how well they handle uh, all the different things inside of the church. It's not based on all those things. Uh, Paul and Titus uh, have a role and responsibility in the church based on faith, not on their abilities. In fact, Paul wasn't the greatest speaker. It's not based on what he can do, but it's based on faith in Jesus Christ alone. And it's why, it's exactly, precisely why Paul can say to Titus that they are family. Why? Because they are not united on nationality or not united on abilities because they're divided on those things. Paul's an apostle. Titus is like a pastor. Paul's a Jew, uh, Jew and uh, Titus is a Gentile. Paul's raised pharisaical, and you got Titus over here. They could not be more different. Titus is from the country that enslaved Paul's country. And what are they bound together by? Faith. And I think when we see this appropriately, we recognize that inside the church, we are not going to be as leaders united because of our abilities or differences. And we're not going to be united as a church. Each one of you sitting in here in this room, uh, based on your abilities or nationalities or what you're good at or what you like. But instead, we're going to be united together by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. So it starts here. Healthy leadership inside the church begins with faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Look at verse uh, 5. You said Paul, servant and apostle, and Titus, uh, true son, but Paul gives Titus a responsibility. Uh, You see, Paul preached the gospel and laid the foundation for the church, but in Crete, he challenges Titus to set right what was left undone, to appoint elders to establish theology and practice. To appoint elders to establish theology and practice. We're going to see that throughout the book of Titus. Because God is laying a foundation for His church based on faith in Jesus Christ alone and following after Jesus Christ, exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit in the world. So establish theology and defend it. That's his challenge to Titus. We're going to establish these elders who can uh, preach the gospel and live out the gospel in the world. So as we walk verses 6 through 9, we're going to see what it looks like to be a faithful leader, uh, one who embodies the character of Jesus Christ in a culture that is far from Jesus Christ. This is the challenge, really, of Titus, the book of Titus. How do you live in Crete, 
a city known for debauchery, and literally Crete or Cretan means liars. How do you live in a, a, a nation, um, in a city specifically, that is not following after God? How do you live faithful? And so he challenges Titus to lay down a foundation of theology and practice that is consistent with the character of God so that it will spread throughout the community and embody the goodness of God to their world. So what is that theology and practice going to look like? Verses 6 through 9, it first says this, and it really says this twice. It says they're going to be blameless. Uh, blameless does not mean perfect, but it means that in, and it specifically has to do with community, not with our relationship with God. Our relationship with God, forgiven by God through grace, our relationship with man is different. We don't receive the same kind of forgiveness from uh, the world that we do from God. And so we live in a way towards the world that the world doesn't view us uh, in the same way that they view each other, but instead they see something different in us, a different kind of love and a different kind of hope that is attractive. And so Paul is showing them, live a different kind of life that shows people what it's like to follow after God. And so for elders, it's going to be like blameless. You have a consistent character in the community that people see, and they, they long for that kind of consistent character. Second, they'll, have, they'll be a husband of one wife. Another way to say this is a one-woman man. Now, this is probably the most contentious uh, portion of this passage, but I want to clarify a little bit. It does not say specifically what that means here. It just gives us the phrase of one-woman man uh, directly in Greek. Uh, it's going to be somebody who is devoted to their spouse, who's consistent and faithful to their spouse. We do see examples in Romans chapter 7, 1 through 3, and 1 Corinthians 7, 39, of what happens when a, uh, when a spouse passes away or what happens when a divorce takes place. And we, can, we see remarriage in there. Um, but we don't have right here an explanation of what Paul exactly means when he says a one-woman man. But I will remind you of what we do know about Paul. Paul was Saul. He called himself the chief of sinners. He recognized himself as the overseer of murders. He recognized himself as following a law instead of following after Christ. He knew that his sin was so great that he needed Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to save him and that nothing else in this world would save him from that. Now, it would be, uh, I think it would be some kind of hypocrisy if Paul looked at elders and pastors and said, based on your past, you can't serve. Based on what you did, you can no longer serve. When in reality, Paul lived a life that if we really based uh, his life on his leadership, he would be disqualified too. And so I think what we see in this passage is that if we're going to be faithful to God, we need to be faithful in our marriage. And what that means is post-salvation, post-transformation, when God revealed himself to us and changed us from Saul to Paul and, and in my life from where I was to where God has for me and hopefully in your life from where you were to where you are now. And what God is doing in your own life is that he's drawn you out of the, the grasp of hell and the temptations and sin in this world and he's pulled you into a place that is completely new. And I think that the danger here is this. If the blood of Christ washes away all sin and we've been transformed into sons and daughters of Christ and all of that sin and temptation 
has been forgiven and freed by, by Jesus Christ's blood, if any of that sin and temptation is held above our heads and said, no, no, you cannot be leading in this role because of this past that you experienced in your life, even though you've been transformed and by the grace of God, if we hold that over somebody's head, then we have to actually say that God's grace, mercy, and the blood of Jesus Christ was not effective for you. But here stands Paul, preaching a message because he knows that in his own life he was transformed. And so here I stand. Not because I was a great teenager. Not because I had life figured out. But because I was a sinner, far from God. And he found me. And he changed my life. And it is by that which I stand in this room to be able to say, as I constantly say to you, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. And so, brothers and sisters, I hope you will extend the same kind of grace and mercy that God has extended you to others to recognize, be faithful now. Be faithful right now in this moment with what God has given you and challenged you to be faithful to. Maybe in your past you've experienced brokenness and you sin, and you've faced temptation in your life. And you feel like you could never be used by God because of what you've done or what you've experienced. Be faithful now. The next challenge we have is to be faithful with our children. To have a, for our children to have a consistency of character and of faith because we've invested in them uh, in ways that is good leadership that we've invested in our children to, to give the gospel to them, that they would have a strong theology, and that they would see our character and emulate that in their lives and with their friendships and inside the church, that you could see that we have faithful children uh, underneath our leadership as, as parents. That we would not be arrogant. Arrogance is looking uh, for the good of self, not for the good of others. This is different than pride a little bit. This is more of that self-centeredness, like serve me rather than I want to serve you. In church, if you have pastors, elders, leaders inside the church that are simply there to, for the church to serve them rather than them to serve you, then uh, that's not a healthy uh, elder or pastor. That we would not be quick-tempered. The use of this is mainly uh, that when someone uh, relates with anger towards one another and that comes out of nowhere. You got somebody who, especially as like an elder or a pastor or a leader in the church, uh, who just randomly gets angry uh, or flips on the, uh, on, on, in a minute uh, and just shifts their, their attitude towards someone else and treats them poorly because they have a problem with anger. Pastors and elders are not to be excessive drinkers. Uh, that means that they uh, have self-control and they exhibit discipline in their life. Now, the key point here is this, and, and we have to, I, I want to uh, share with you what I look for in this, is that I want to see somebody, and in their life, I want to see that they have discipline and self-control so that when they uh, face any sort of temptation in their life, they're able to handle it in a way uh, that is appropriate. You see, this had actually become a euphemism. It, it became used throughout their culture so much that it's like in our culture when we say something like, he's out of his mind, or he's stoned. Or something like that. Well, they may actually not be high, or they may actually be struggling out of their mind, but we say it about people who are doing crazy things, right? 
And so we use different phrases to mean somebody's doing something crazy. Well, they would use that same phrase of uh, uh, being a, a drunkard or something like that to talk about somebody who is doing stuff that is crazy. I want to see in leaders and in pastors somebody who's able to handle themselves in a way that is disciplined and shows self-control when they face things in this world of excess. So they're not excessively getting angry. They're not excessively having sex outside of marriage uh, 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 and, uh, and with the... Uh, uh, in, a, in a wrong way, sexually immoral. They're not pursuing sexually immoral things. Uh, so they are, uh, are restricting themselves and they are confining themselves to what God has for them. So they have sex within marriage. They don't get drunk. Uh, they don't pursue excess money. All those kind of things. That's what I'm looking for in healthy leaders and pastors. And I hope I am embodying to you myself. They're not a bully. A bully is someone who is like the first one, a self-centered person who desires to get what they want when they want it, by any means necessary. And they bully people to get what they want. A pastor is not to be greedy, or elders not to be greedy for money. This is an unbalanced desire for money. They desire money for themselves to, to uh, rise themselves up rather than to help the kingdom of God. This doesn't mean that people can't have money. It just means what's your purpose in having money? Is it for the glory of God? Is it for the glory of man? A pastor is to be hospitable. This is literally the opposite of the pride or the arrogant portion. It's rather than self-centered, it's selfless. It's seeking the good of others rather than good of self. It's opening up relationships in your house to people to have a relationship that is life-giving, not sucking the life out of people. Pastors are to be loving what is good. It's it's like Philippians. We desire what is good. We think about good things. We don't think about wicked things and desire what is evil for people. Pastors are to be sensible. The best definition of sensible is probably self-control in the mind. Something like that. That we are able to to, to uh, uh, have control of our minds and think about good things in our minds, while the opposite uh, would be lacking self-control. Uh, there's another type of self-control, which you'll see at the end of the passage, which says self-controlled, which is actually discipline of the body. So self-control and discipline is control over the mind and control over the body. We are to be righteous, which by definition in this passage means something like to follow after God's law. And we are to be holy, to follow after God. Those two words, when put back to back, mean something like this. We, as pastors, elders, are following God's law, and we are following God. We are obedient to God's word, and we are pious in following after God. And finally, we hold to the faithful message. In other words, we preach a strong theology and we preach a strong apologetics. We are able to defend the faith, and we are able to preach the faith. This is what an, a pastor or an elder or overseer is supposed to do. Now, I, I want to be uh, open in front of you, honest with you, real in front of you. One of the cha- just like transforming truths about this passage is this. It says throughout it, God our Savior, and then it says Jesus our Savior. Well, a couple other times in Titus, it uses that phrase, Jesus, connected to Savior. Well, there's only one Savior in Scripture. There can only be one Savior, and it's God. So if Jesus is our Savior, then Jesus must be God. Uh, the, uh, I've read uh, some stuff on what, how Jehovah Witness uh, interpret this and how Mormons interpret this specific passage. And uh, what they basically do is put a lot of commas in there to make it look like there's a God, a Jesus, and a Savior, and reference back Savior to God, and that through Jesus, God is saving the world, but Jesus is not the Savior. 
But that's not what the Greek says. That's not what the Bible says. And we need to see it like in verse 3, where it says the command of God our Savior. And then in verse 4, where it says grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. You skip forward to verse 13, and you see them combined together, which is an unbelievable picture of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As I read through this passage, I know two things about this that, are, uh, that impact me greatly. First, the very first word is Paul. Paul, a broken man, can live up to these expectations, not because of his past, but because God changed his life and the Spirit was poured out in his heart. If that's true, then God can change my life and change your life too. And it's why I can preach on a stage, and it's why you can preach in this world, because God has changed our lives. The second thing I know to be true is that it's because Jesus Christ, our Savior, he's the one that runs throughout the vein of everything in Titus. If Paul has been transformed, it's because Jesus is a Savior. And so if I'm going to do anything in this world, I hope it's this. If you're going to follow after me for anything, I hope it's this. Follow me because I follow Christ. Acts 11.1. 1. Follow me because I follow Christ. I love Christ. I love him with all of my heart. I may fail you. You may get mad at me. I may make decisions you disagree with. But if anything, don't follow just the, the monotony of decisions that we have to make and all the, uh, the business ideas that we have to do, all those different things. Don't look at me based on those things. Look at me if I follow after Jesus. Not just me, but everybody, all our pastors, Pastor Bill and Pastor Glenn, which are ironically not in this room this morning. I, I was going to talk to them about that. I was like, man, I'm preaching through Titus, and somehow Pastor Glenn and Pastor Bill both aren't here. I'm kidding. Pastor Glenn had surgery, and Pastor Bill, I don't know where he is, but he's not in here. So I'm going to receive the brunt of this passage. <laughs> you know, throughout Titus, uh, we're going to see the necessity for a church to remain Christ-centered in a secular, ungodly culture. We're going to see the necessity for healthy church leaders who love Christ. We're going to see the necessity for a church to be healthy, to love Christ. If we're going to change the world, it's not going to be because we are smart. It's not going to be because we have the best programs in this church. And it's not going to be because we're a big church or a small church. It's going to be because God works through us to accomplish His purposes in this world because of our godly character and our accurate theology. He's going to preach a message through your lives that is going to change people. Spurgeon said of elders, he said, the more holy, the more humble. And I think this sermon might have been primarily for our pastors and key leaders in the church that are driving the direction of the church. I get that. I see the strong challenge that it is for us, and I hope uh, that in God's grace uh, we recognize that. And so recognizing my own sin, I would ask you this. Would you pray for your leaders? Pray for me. I'm asking you that, and it's, it's, it, it's just weird to be asking this from the stage, but I'm, pray for your pastors and pray for your leaders because this world doesn't need to see more fallen pastors. It needs to see more consistent character pastors. It needs to see pastors who are following after Christ, who have a Christ-centered theology and embody the practice and the ministry of Christ. They need to see us living and following after Christ so that they know what it looks like and see faithfulness within us. And if we're going to do that, I know this truth. I'm not going to do it because of my own strength. 
I'm not going to do it because uh, of money. I'm not going to do it because of position or authority or status. I'm not going to do it because of that. We will fall. Pastors fall all the time. No matter how high up they get, no matter how much money they make, no matter how smart they are, I've seen them all. And we fall. And the only way we aren't going to fall is that the Spirit of God is working in us because of the freedom and forgiveness that, God has, that Jesus has, a, has secured for us by His blood on the cross. The Spirit is working in us. And so I know this truth. I know that if the Spirit is working in me, there can be a potential for a consistent character that emulates Christ into this world throughout the rest of my life. But it's only because the Spirit works in me. And if that is true, then I'm asking you this. Would you pray that the Spirit continues to protect me, protects my theology, and protects my character? That the Spirit of God will continue to protect my family, my wife, and my children. And that God would, in His infinite grace and mercy, help me in some way, some miraculous way, because I recognize this is only a miracle, that God would some, in some way miraculously allow me to, to, to meet these expectations for His church. Because there's no way that I do this without Him. So honestly, I'd like to respond to my daughter with a really tough who asked a really tough question, uh, challenge and question to her daddy. I'd like to respond to her that in a healthy church with healthy leadership under the power of the Spirit, the blood of Jesus, and sovereignty of God, the church will provide the greatest gathering in the world. The most gracious and encouraging people in the world. A place of true love, of restoration, and unity, not division. In the church, I believe that my daughter will find the biblical ethics that bring about true life in her life in this world that's full of lying and death. I believe that she will find Jesus Christ who made the way. He is the only way. And that I believe that through Jesus Christ, she will know God the Father because, she, because God the Father made her before time even began. He knew her and he had a purpose for her. And I think she could only find that purpose in the church. So just like Crete, some things aren't right in our church and in the global church. But God isn't finished with His church. And He isn't finished with me. And He's not finished with you. And so that's why we go to church. Because this is the greatest place on earth to find love and restoration. And it's the only place to find true restoration. So maybe more than all of those reasons, maybe more than the joy we find from fellowship and, 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 the, and the, the excitement of praise together and all of these things that are really awesome about what we find in church and great children's ministry and student ministry and all of that, maybe more than all of that, I would tell my daughter, I want you to belong to the people of God in a local church because it's where I found freedom. It's where I found forgiveness. It's where I found life in Jesus. Because in the church, there's many broken marriages, addictions, consuming wicked thoughts, lust, greed for money that destroys others, angers and hurts, lying that breaks friendship, manipulation that drives people crazy, and pride that says none of those things even exist. Yet that's the makeup of God's church that God chose. And He's using. That's the church that Paul calls for godly men to step up and lead as elders. And that's the role that Evie's daddy took upon himself. And it's a role that causes me to constantly cling to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because one day, I hope that she will do the same. And I hope today that you will do the same too. Because all of us are broken in this room. 
And as much as I want to stand in front of you and tell you that I match up to all, all of these things, verses 6 through 9, I can only tell you this, that without Christ and without His Spirit in me, there's no way I do that. There's no way. And so my answer to my daughter has to be this. Only because of Jesus and only because of the Spirit is the church the place that we should be on Sunday mornings. Only because of the life-giving nature of the cross of Jesus Christ is this worth being. And I would waste every moment watching, playing in the yard, or doing any of those things to be able to worship with God's people, a good God who loves us. And that's why I want my daughter in church. So your gospel response for this morning is this. And man, I, I hope this doesn't sound like selfish, but I'm just being real. I'm just asking you, would you pray for a healthy church and healthy leaders? Would you pray for me, Pastor Bill, Pastor Glenn, that we would live a righteous life, a life that follows after Christ that you would want to follow after too? And second, would you seek out righteous leaders? Not just leaders, not warm bodies to fill in roles at a church, but righteous leaders. People who love God and love His people. And finally, my last challenge to you is this. Would you cling to Jesus? In the same way that I have to every day, because there's no way I can match up to this for you without Him, would you join me? We don't have to be fake when we walk in here. We don't have to act like everybody in this room is not broken. We all are. We all bring in every single one of these struggles. Guys, I'm just going to specifically talk to you men. If, you, if we're going to say that we're going to be leaders of the church and we're going to be leaders of our family, then we've got to look at every single one of these expectations and ask ourselves, do we live up to those things? And the answer is going to be consistently no. So we've got to stop acting like the answer is yes. And cling to Jesus. So as you lead your family, and as you lead in this church, I would challenge you with the same thing I have to challenge myself in every moment of my day. Cling to Jesus, because without Him, there's no way, there's no way that we live a healthy leadership life and establish a healthy church here. And I hope that this world will see us and want what the church has, because we have Jesus. I'm going to pray for you. God, would you change us? Would you mold us into what you have for us? Would you create us into your image? And I pray, Father, in these moments that you would challenge us to recognize the sin that is in our life and that it is not what you have for us. And see, and God, would you paint a picture of what you have for us, whether there's pastors in this room, deacons in this room, missionaries in this room, leaders in the church, and leaders in the family. No matter where every single person is in this room, I pray, God, that you would rise us up as leaders throughout this community to embody your faithfulness and character throughout the community, that we might be blameless against all odds, that we might be able to live up in some capacity to following after your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that you would pour out your Spirit who is capable of doing more than we ever thought or imagined in our lives to transform us into your image. And Father, would you continually make us desperate and humble for your mercy and grace as we go along the way. So Father, we all need you. We are desperate for you and we cling to you. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.
Amen, church. Remember, you were sent in the midst of darkness to light it up. I pray you have a great week. And hey, if you are planning on packing shoeboxes, if you will, just step out in the lobby, hang out, talk a little bit, and then we'll bring you right back in when we have things set up. If you're used to tearing down chairs and you don't mind staying here, we'll tear down the chairs, and then we'll bring everybody back in. Thank you guys for being here, and I hope to see you next week. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.